118. I'll begin reading at verse 1. When you have it, can you say amen? amen. Some of y'all lying. You know you don't have it yet. You know you don't have it yet. Say, Pastor, I got it memorized. Amen. Psalm 118, verse 1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his mercy endures forever. Let Israel now say his mercy endures forever. Let the house of Aaron now say his mercy endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord now say his mercy endures forever. And where we'll be today, beginning at verse 5, I called on the Lord in distress. The Lord answered me and set me in a broad place. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is for me among those who help me. Therefore, I shall see my desire on those who hate me. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. All nations surrounded me. But in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. They surrounded me. Yes, they surrounded me. But in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. They surrounded me like bees. They were quenched like a fire of thorns. For in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. You pushed me violently that I might fall. But the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and song and has become my salvation. I call your attention to verse 6 for our title today where the writer said, The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? What can man do to me? Let's pray. Oh God, if you could speak through Balaam's donkey, I know you can speak through me. I yield myself to you and I ask for your help to communicate your word to your people for this time. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for how you speak for how you teach, how you are so used to using vessels that are imperfect because your word that you inspired through human authors, authors is able to accomplish what you send it out to do. So thank you, Lord, that you can bypass me to get to your people to give them what they need this morning. You're an on-time God who not only gives us the lagos, but also the rhema. Give us a rhema word today. You've already been speaking in this service. So, Lord, there's nothing magical about the sermon. But, Lord, it is a mighty moment because it's your word. Speak, Lord. Have your way. Give us ears to hear what you're saying. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There was an atheist who was a professor at a college. 
and he taught philosophy. And when the discussion of religion would come up, he would candidly tell his students that there is no God and that we are here by chance. And when one student said, well, what about an intelligent designer? The professor, the atheist, said absolutely not. There was a cosmic explosion, a big bang, that brought the world into existence. Well, for that weekend, that professor decided to go hiking. And as he embarked into the mountain area to hike, he could hear the birds singing. He could even see and hear the river crashing and flowing. And as he looked at creation, he still did not give God any credit for being the creator of such a beautiful display. Because he said in his heart, there is no God. He kept on hiking. And as he came across a wooded area, much to his surprise, out jumped a seven-foot grizzly bear coming right at him. And as he looked at the grizzly bear, he was struck with fear. And because he didn't believe in God, he didn't want to pray. But then all of a sudden, everything stopped. The grizzly bear froze. The birds stopped singing. The river stood still and stopped moving. And the man stood there looking at the bear. And he heard a voice come down from heaven and he said, Will you now trust me, the Lord, my son Jesus, as your Savior? The atheist who was so full of pride said, There's no way I, I haven't trusted you now and I can't trust you to this point. No, I can't go back on my beliefs. And then the atheist said, but could you at least do a favor for me? Could you at least make the bear a Christian? <laughs> so at that point, time started moving again. The birds started singing, the river started moving, and the bear rose up and then sat back put its paws together and said, Lord, I thank you for this food that I'm about to receive. <laughs> for in everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. <laughs> Last week, we talked about the importance of extolling, acknowledging that God is good. Even when life hurts and when things are bad, God is good. And his mercy, his chesed, his loving kindness endures forever. For where our sin abounds, his grace and his mercy superabound. So let the house of Aaron declare. Let all of Israel declare. Let the Gentiles declare. Let us praise God. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. So there was this call and response between the liturgists and the congregation. And we had a moment of that last week. And today we pick up in verse 5. 
If verses 1 through 4 are the chorus of this song, what happens at verse 5 and goes all the way even to verse 28, these are the verses in the song. And then the song ends in verse 29 with the chorus of, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good and his mercy endures forever. So as we get into the verses this Sunday and next Sunday, and even as we go to Resurrection Sunday, uh, may we not be the kind of Christians who only want to talk about the goodness of the Lord, but don't want to talk about what we see in verse 5, and that is the distress that comes. Now, the distress comes, but that does not take away from the goodness of God. And because God is good and he's merciful, he can get me through the distress that I go through in my life. You see, we don't know for certain who the composer of Psalm 118 is, but we've got some clues. Uh, I believe Moses is the architect of Psalm 118. I, I believe Moses, not David. David has written more psalms than anyone, uh, but I believe Moses is the one who wrote Psalm 118, this anonymous psalm. We said last week that this was part of what is known as the Egyptian Hallel. Hallel means praise. Hallelujah means praise Yah or praise the Lord. And there was a set of songs that the Jews would sing every Passover, and they would start with Psalm 113 and go all the way to Psalm 118. Again, the Egyptian Hallel. And according to Psalm 114, verse 1, that is encased within this group of songs, verse 1 says, when Israel went out of Egypt. And so for the Jews, they would commemorate the Passover every year when God delivered them dramatically and historically from 400 years of Egyptian bondage through the blood of a lamb. They would celebrate this every year through Passover and they would sing songs. Psalm 113 and Psalm 114, according to culture and tradition, the Jews would sing before the Passover meal. And then after the meal, they would sing Psalm 114, excuse me, 116, 117, and 118. And this is why we said last week this was the last song that Jesus sang after the Passover meal before going to be arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. So when we think about the Egyptian exodus or the exodus from Egypt that would cause the people to praise God then and even for centuries after that, I have to ask, who was the leader during that time? It was Moses who led the people out of Egypt initially. And when we look at the song that the Jews sang when they got out of Egypt, in Exodus chapter 15, that song that they sang after the whole Red Sea situation mirrors Psalm 118 in many segments. So therefore, I equate that Moses wrote Psalm 118 just as he wrote the song that's in Exodus chapter 15. Because in Psalm 118, Moses, who had the best education in the land, he was educated in Egypt, 
But then God took him and educated him in the desert on the backside in Midian of a mountain called Horeb where he tended sheep and he got married and had children. God taught him in the desert just like God taught him in the classroom. And God says, now you're ready at the age of 80 to go back and tell Pharaoh to what? Let my people go. And so he was the most qualified to write. And when he wrote this majestic song, he wrote poetically, poetically. And what we're going to see today is in verse 5, he says, I called on the Lord. Verse 6, the Lord is on my side. What can man do to me? Verse 7, the Lord is for me among those who help me. Now, don't miss this point. He's writing poetically. The Bible is literature. It's not just something that God dictates to man. Yes, there are portions where God dictates what he wants. But God also would superintend the writing process by the Holy Spirit where men could write based on their own personality as well as to include various poetic uh, uh, pieces as they wrote the scripture. And so back in the days of antiquity, uh, they understood how literature was. And so Moses would use many of those same kinds of things when he would write scripture. And so he's writing poetically. And when he speaks about the nation as a whole, he speaks in the first person. So when he's saying, I will not fear, literally it means we will not fear. He's the leader He's the spokesperson. He's speaking on behalf of the people. So when he says, I called on the Lord, we called on the Lord. Why is he doing this? Why is he taking that kind of license to speak in the first person for an entire community of people? Well, when you are a community of people, especially a community of people that experience suffering together, what one goes through, all go through. And what all goes through, one goes through. So when the old Negro spiritual says, nobody knows the trouble I've seen, that's not to be an exclusive statement. That's a communal statement, meaning that other folk know what I'm talking about because we're going through the same thing together. Oh, when Maya Angelou says, I know why the caged bird sings, she could have said, we know why the caged bird sings because we feel like that bird as a community. And so poetically, you can speak on behalf of the whole from the place of the first person because the Jewish people who came out of bondage, you know, because when you're in bondage, you can communicate without even having to communicate with your mouth. People in bondage can look at each other and your eyes can speak. And even if you don't sing songs with verses, you can just hum and even moan because there's this kind of a vicarious experience that people go through as a tribe or a community or as a people when they suffer. So Moses is speaking in the first person on behalf of the whole community. But not only is he speaking poetically, he's speaking prophetically. Because he's going to say some things in this psalm about the coming Messiah, about the coming deliverer. Because the Bible says Moses was a prophet. 
And a lot of times the prophets would say things, have things recorded that they didn't even know what they were talking about. They were just being obedient to what God was saying. And those prophecies had fruition, ultimate fruition in the coming, the first coming or even the second coming of Jesus. So in this psalm, we see him saying, Hosanna or save us now. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And Jesus, it was said of him when he came into Jerusalem at the beginning of Passover week, save us now. And Jesus even said, this congregation, this group of people, you won't see me again until all of you say, save us now, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Oh, I wish I had time to chase that, but I can't. I got to keep moving. But also in this song, and we'll deal with this on Resurrection Sunday morning, where Moses said, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. And then he said, this was the Lord's doing. It's marvelous in our eyes. So we're going to talk about Jesus being the cornerstone on resurrection morning. So some of you builders and folks that understand uh, uh, how to put things together with structures, I may need some help for you to remind me what a cornerstone is and how important it is. But today with the time I have remaining I want to focus on that point or that question in verse 6. What can man do to me? Or what can a man do to me? Or what can a woman do to me? What can a group of people do to me? What can a nation do to me or to us? Because I'm not focusing on the man, the woman, the group of people, or the nation. I'm focusing on the Lord who helps me, who helps us. Because the man, the woman, the group, the nation, they are finite. God is infinite and eternal. He is omnipotent. So what really can a man, can a boss, can a supervisor can an abusive parent or an abusive spouse, what can they really technically do to me that God does not first allow to be done? Oh, you missed that. You missed that. Man can't do anything to us that God does not allow for that man or that woman, that boss to do. And so rather than getting bent out of shape about this person that's getting on my last nerves because they're on my case, I'm going to trust the Lord who allowed it to happen in the first place because he may be using this person to make me more like Jesus Christ. Oh, I hope you hang with me today because we got to talk about how Israel had to claim this because there were some people who wanted to hurt the Jews, starting with the Egyptians. So the first point I want to look at today is that we see this pilgrimage from Egypt to the Red Sea. From Egypt to the Red Sea. And then secondly, if time permits, we'll go from the Red Sea towards the Promised Land. All of that is in this passage. So let me see if I can impact some of it for you. Verse 5, I, we, called on the Lord in distress. What distress was Israel in? Well, when we look at Exodus chapter 14, and as we heard Kathleen read today, 
The distress that they were in was after they had walked out of Egypt, the Bible says marched out of Egypt towards the promised land because the last plague broke the back of Pharaoh and the Egyptian people when the firstborn died in every house in Egypt of man and even cattle. But no one died in Israel or in the land of uh, Geshem because they had put the blood on the doorposts. And the death angel passed over their homes because of the blood of the lamb, but the Egyptians were not covered by the blood. And so their children, their livestock died. They told the Jews they could leave. And then the Jews said, we've been working here all this time. We need some reparations. Uh, uh, and so God caused uh, the Jews to have favor in the eyes of the Egyptians. And they gave them money and said, get out of here. And they ate that Passover in haste with their belt on, their sandals on, their staff in their hand. Get ready. Y'all are getting out tonight. And as they walked out towards the promised land, the Bible says they came across, came, came at the Red Sea. And it's as if the sea trapped them on this side. Then they looked up and they looked back and there was Pharaoh's army coming after the Jews saying, we're not going to let you go. We change our mind now. And at that point, the Bible says they were in distress. They didn't have any weapons of war to fight. <laughs> they were going to be slaughtered they were in distress. And the Bible says they cried out to God for help. But then after they cried out to God, they cussed their preacher out. <laughs> yeah, read it for yourself. Why'd you bring us out here to die? If you're going to pray, don't cuss. Moses told him, y'all be still and watch the salvation of the Lord. And Moses said, these people who you see today, you will see no more. Then if you keep reading in the text, God tells Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the people to move forward. So what's not mentioned in that story is that after Moses told everybody to man up, woman up, stand up, be strong, trust God, that brother must have went somewhere behind a sycamore tree and said, Lord, I need some help. I don't know how to leave. I'm trying to be strong for him. Lord, I don't know how you're going to do this. I tried to tell him I, I'm trying to have faith. God, help me. Why are you crying out to me? I already told you what I was going to do before it happened. So now that it's happening, why are you panicking, Pastor? Walk in faith. Moses came out from behind that sycamore tree, start moving. And God didn't start parting till they started moving. Some of us want God to part it, then we'll move. God says, start moving, then I'll part it. So they start moving. And as you know the story, as Kathleen read it, God parted the Red Sea. So he answered their prayer. Because in verse 5 it says, the Lord answered me, he answered us and set us in a broad place. What's the broad place? On the other side of the Red Sea. He answered us. Verse 6, the Lord is on my side. He's, he's on our side. How do we know he's on our side? Well, if we were to go back to when you were in Egypt and all the plagues that he did to show you his power, how he came against Egypt, he's on your side. Because none of those plagues from the lice 
to the darkness ever visited where y'all lived. He's on your side. And then when they came out and went through the sea, he not only parted it to show that he's on your side, he made the sea dry, the, the, the floor of the sea dry. So you're not walking in mud. And then when the enemy came against you, what was dry for you became muddy for them. And then as Kathleen read, God started taking the wheels off their chariots as they were pursuing. He's on your side. And then when you get to safety, he then causes the water to come back on the enemy and drowns the enemy. He's on your side. So then they start worshiping him in chapter 15, the beginning part. But then later, three days later, when they didn't have water, they started complaining. Then when they rolled up on some water and tasted it, it was bitter. And then they once again cursed the man of God. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You just saw God part the Red Sea. He know how to do miracles with water. Why are you tripping three days after a major miracle? Because I know what a lot of us say. Man, had I been there, I'd have never doubted God in my life. If I'd have seen that thing like in the Prince of Egypt with whales swimming in the water and they ain't coming at me, man, I'd never doubt God. <laughs> if I lived there, I wouldn't be one of them. Let me tell you something. We all have a tendency of developing spiritual amnesia, spiritual forgetfulness. Because God can do something in your life at 4 p.m. And by 8 p.m., you cussing again about what you need and you don't trust God. He just did a miracle. We forget so quickly. And watch this. For the Jews of old, the Red Sea, that great deliverance for them, that was their Calvary. That was their Golgotha. That was their what we call the resurrection of Jesus. Our faith is built on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so we say, if I had lived back then and saw that deliverance, I would never doubt. And they probably say, if we live where you live, knowing that Jesus came, died, and resurrected, why in the world do y'all doubt? Not to mention all the miracles he does in our lives. And so Moses is trying to say he's been a deliverer. Man could not hurt us. Look at verse 7. The Lord is for me among those who help me. Therefore, I shall see my desire on those who hate me. What does that mean? To see your desire on those who hate you is to see those people defeated. They saw them defeated as their bodies were laying lifeless on the shore. But Exodus says that when the Egyptians came after the Jews, they wanted to see their desire on them. In other words, they wanted to see the Jews defeated. But since God was on Israel's side, the Egyptians didn't get their desire, but the Jews got theirs, and that was victory over the enemy. God's on your side. And sometimes we just got to say, who can be against me when God is for me? He's on your side. 
That's why he says it's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. Who was Pharaoh trusting? Men and princes. Who were the Jews trusting? God. There will always be people who trust bank accounts, buildings, numbers, statistics, people. But people of faith, we don't throw those things out. We just don't put more trust in them than we put in God. Because he's a way maker. He does the impossible. Miracles are when God enters into natural time and space and does the supernatural. He still can do that. We pray about it. We ask him to do it. But then in verse 10, there's going to be a shift now because once they came through the Red Sea and God defeated the enemy, proving that he was on their side and man could not hurt them, now they've got to move from the Red Sea towards the promised land. And as they started going towards the promised land, verse 10, all nations surrounded me or surrounded us. Verse 11, they surrounded me. Yes, they surrounded me. Verse 12, they surrounded me. They surrounded us because you had the nations threatened by Israel. So we know Egypt, that nation was against them. But in Exodus it says the people of Moab were against them. The people of Edom were against them. The people of Philistia was against them. The people of Canaan, which includes the Jebusites, the Parasites, the Amorites, the Ammonites, the Electric Lights. All these folk were against them. And here they are, nomadic. They don't have, again, much weaponry, if any. They haven't studied war because they've been slaves. So technically, those nations have an advantage against the Jews who are sitting ducks. But when the Lord is on your side, when he's a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day, when he goes before you as your front guard and he goes behind you as your rear guard, you have an unseen advantage because the Lord is with you. You see, God and one person are a majority. And he's on my side. So, 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 and we're walking by faith. And it says they surrounded him. And it reminds me of when I played football, we would do this drill where they would put one guy in the center and the rest of the team would surround him. And that was called a bull in the ring. And what they would do is they would try to toughen you up. So they put one person out there and then the coach standing outside the circle would say, number 10. And number 10 would come from out of the arc of that circle, rushing at the guy in the middle to try to light him up, to hit him, just knock him. And then after that guy hit him, he'd go back. And then the coach would say, number 52. Then number 52 would run out there and try to light that dude up. Then the coach would say, number 77. 77 would run out the circle and hit the guy in the middle. This thing was so tough that when the players found out that we were doing that drill today, oh, they wouldn't come to practice. No, 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 I ain't come to practice because I'm about to get hit on because they're surrounding me, almost like they're ambushing me. But can I tell you about somebody who was surrounded, who was ambushed, who although he knew they would beat him and pull out his beard and put a crown of thorns on him and spit on him. He chose to be the lamb in the ring. 
So when we talk about I feel surrounded, I feel ambushed on my job, I feel like my family doesn't understand, Jesus is standing there as your high priest. He says, I know what you're feeling right now. I know what you're going through. And I stood my test. And with me in you, we can stand this together. You don't have to return evil for evil. You can suffer with your mouth shut. You can pray for those who are trying to harm you. You can do what I did. So the nation surrounded, but the Lord protected. So in verse 13, Moses said, you pushed me us violently, but the Lord helped me. So the nations would push on the Jews. But Moses said, you helped us. People are pushing on you, especially life is pushing on you. Life is designed to push us down. But God is present to lift us up, almost like a jack-in-the-box. You put the little thing in the box, and then you wind the side. Then the thing pops out. Jack comes out the box. Jack was not supposed to be in the box only. He's supposed to come out of the box. You're looking at a Chris in the box. When life tries to weigh me down, and God allows it to weigh me down so that I can look to him as my only help so that I can resurrect through the situation. And so that's why Moses says, they pushed me, but the Lord helped me. So Chris... Don't focus on the people that's pushing you. Focus on the God who's helping. I'm here to help you, man. Don't, because the only reason they're pushing you is because I've allowed it. Jesus, what do you mean? Remember when I stood before Pilate and Pilate had the nerve to say to Jesus that I can kill you or let you go. You know I have that power, don't you? And calmly, Jesus says to him in John chapter 19, you would have no power against me if it had not been given to you from my father. So nothing happens to me that does not go through his loving, sovereign hands of grace. And it's the same for you and for me. So when people push us, he allows it because he wants us to grow. So I'm trusting in the one who helps me, and I'm not focusing on the people who push me. Because if I focus on the people who push me, my flesh might just want to push you back. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But that's not what he's called me to do. That's why we can end with verse 14. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. They sang this song. In Exodus chapter 15, verse 2, the Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. That's not a bad song to sing because God was with Israel when they left Egypt. God was with Israel when they left the Red Sea, and God is with you today. He was with Jesus when Jesus sang this song in the upper room, when Jesus sang that song, they went to the garden, and the Lord was with Jesus as his helper then. And when men arrested Jesus, 
God allowed it because they had a bigger purpose. He was with Jesus from the upper room to the garden, from the garden to the grave. Never left his son. And he never, ever leaves us. So what can man really do to me? God is for me. Who can be against me? I'm going to make it through this test because my Savior has been here. He's experienced what I'm experiencing. He knows what I'm going through. So I'm going to stop thinking about what man can do, what Egypt can do, what the Ammonites can do, and I'm going to start focusing on what God can do. Amen. Let's stand for prayer. Amen. Amen. If you don't need this sermon right now, tuck it away. You'll need it later, I promise you. Next week is Palm. No, is next week Palm Sunday? Next Sunday. Uh, I believe our, some of our young people are ministering next week. And then we go into the Passover Seder on Wednesday night and a good Friday service here. Uh, we'll tell you more about both of those events next week. But I'm here to tell you, man, it is so great to be alive and alive in Christ and to be with the Lord's people on this day. So let's pray. Oh, God, thank you for being on our side. And it's all because you allowed us to be on your side. And you adopted us and put us in your family. We're your sons and daughters, and we're blessed. We're loved on. We're protected. We have purpose. I pray for each and every person under the sound of my voice that they would spend more time with their eyes on you than their eyes on man. Forgive us, oh God, when we get out of sync and we become worldly rather than spiritual. Thank you for this fresh reminder today of where our help comes from. Would you defend your people, oh God? Would you be a father to the fatherless? Would you watch over the widows and the orphans? Would you be the God of justice that we need out here in this broken society? Would you fight that? We know as we say today, you're working even if we don't see it or feel it. But Lord, some of us need to, again, see that way made. Lord, would you do some miracles this week? Would you blow our mind this week? Would you affirm us with your presence? Would you give us the confidence that comes from knowing Christ? Where we failed and messed up before, help us to grow through those kinds of obstacles. Because you're the God who helps. Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think. And it's according to the power that's at work within us. To him be all of the glory, the majesty, the dominion, and the power both now and forevermore. And all of God's people say, amen. You got to hug somebody before you leave. You just can't go to the door. Hug somebody.